it. So I'm going to be asking for grace this morning because I actually forgot my notes at home, so see how much I can pull from memory. Um, so we spent the first four weeks in our study in Bibliology, um, just really going over um, some basics. Um, how do we receive God's Word? How do we... Uh, actually uh, apply God's word, uh, why did God give us his word, uh, what is the central theme of God's word, and uh, in those four weeks I was really trying to establish a foundation for us to really be able to uh, go to the Bible first as our foundation, and then from there we can start to discuss doctrines that we pull out of the scriptures. Um, so, <clears throat> today uh, I'm going to start with, uh, the first doctrine we'll be covering is Revelation, uh, and this will probably be a, a two-week study. Uh, we'll do uh, one part today and one part next week, uh, and I've broken this up into general revelation and special revelation. Um, but before we get into the distinctions between the two, why don't we just define our terms? So um, the first scripture I'm going to be going to uh, after we get some definitions out of the way is going to be in Psalm 19. So if you guys want to go ahead and turn there, uh, you're more than welcome to. And as you turn there, I'll start going through some terminology. So the first thing we want to ask ourselves when we're talking about any kind of revelation, and especially in this context, is uh, what is revelation? What is biblical revelation? So... Um, the word revelation comes from a Greek word, uh, apocalypsis. Uh, this word means disclosure or unveiling. And uh, we could very simply define the term uh, revelation uh, as being to reveal. So in the context of bibliology, the context of the doctrine of revelation, it's God revealing uh, things to humanity. Uh, and specifically, we're going to be talking about God revealing himself, God revealing his purpose for us, uh, his work in humanity. And the important thing about uh, revelation in this context is that the revelation that God provides us uh, through his various uh, methods is he, he's revealing things to us that we could never arrive at on our own. So... When we're talking about different methods of uh, revelation, such as uh, his work in creation, for instance, um, we obviously have spent thousands of years pondering our origins. We have scientifically tried to study our origins. There has been no definitive, uh, satisfactory theory that has given us an answer as to our origins beyond God's word. God provides us with revelation. I created everything, he says to us, as opposed to us trying to study, uh, you know, different scientific explanations where there's still doubt, there's still room for error. Um, and without that revelation, we would still be pondering and uh, questioning. So we would be trying to come up with explanations. Where did the universe come from? Where did humanity come from? Why do we operate in the ways that we do? Uh, God gives us that revelation through his word, we would never arrive at that conclusion without him giving us that revelation because we would still be thinking we were here because of a big bang or we were here because of the theory of evolution, etc. Uh, we would never come up with on our own, well, there must be a God and this God must have created us out of dirt and he must have created the entire universe and so on and so forth. Um, 
So that's just a, kind of an example of, um, of God's method of, of revelation and uh, what makes it so distinct. Um, revelation, uh, so I'm reading here from uh, Paul N's Systematic Theology. Revelation may d- be defined as, uh, quote, the act of God whereby he discloses himself or communicates truth to the mind whereby he makes manifest to his creatures that which could not be known in any other way. Revelation may occur in a single instantaneous act, or it may extend over a long period of time, and this communication of himself and his truth may be perceived by the human mind in varying degrees of fullness. So this elaborates a little bit on what I was just talking about, and it shows us that uh, different types of revelation can serve different purposes. Now, God is never going to contradict himself, nor is he going to um, uh, leave things unclear that are necessary for us to come to uh, saving knowledge of him. But there is a, a different uh, method sometimes that he uses, or a, a different amount of the fullness of revelation that he discloses, depending on the purpose. Um, and that's perfectly fine and doesn't really contradict uh, anything in the scriptures, but rather it's all about what is he trying to communicate to us. So he might elaborate on one subject because that's more of an important subject, whereas other subjects he might not really go into much detail, but he's still going to give us clear and concise words on that subject. It's just he might not elaborate beyond a certain uh, amount of detail. So... um, With that definition out of the way, we've defined what is revelation in the context of God's revelation. So now we break down that revelation into smaller categories. So again, we have general and we have special revelation. So before I give you uh, the difference between the two, would anybody like to uh, volunteer to define uh, the difference between general and special revelation? Uh, in a way, that would be something uh, I guess would be contained in the definition of special revelation. Um, so, uh, for instance, God has uh, utilized special revelation at different points, uh, kind of like what you're saying, uh, throughout human history. Uh, he's given special revelation to different people, uh, which we then have recorded in the Bible. Um, so, that, that's an adequate uh, definition, I guess, for our purposes. Uh, I mean, we can build off of that, and, and we will certainly build off of that uh, next week when I go further into uh, special revelation. But So using that definition, though, uh, compared to general revelation, then what would the difference be between like uh, a certain special singular type of revelation to a group of people or one person as opposed to like general revelation? What, what would general revelation be? <clears throat> Nature. Yeah, that's a, a good example. So wh- then general revelation, so uh, you said nature. So then now we're kind of talking about who uh, is able to uh, take in this revelation. So when we talk about general revelation, everyone is exposed to general revelation, such as nature, uh, the example that Paul uh, provided. Whereas with certain types of special revelation, God is either the one engaging in that uh, methodology, or uh, when we engage the scriptures, for instance, 
obviously if I don't have a copy of the scriptures, I'm not going to be able to read the scriptures. So that's not something I can just walk around and look at the sky. I need scriptures or I need someone uh, communicating to me or I need God himself communicating to me. So, um, and that's actually a good segue because you mentioned nature. So um, there are a couple of different categories of general revelation itself that we can examine. Uh, to give ourselves a, a good understanding of uh, the methods of general re- revelation that God provides. Um, and we can actually start with nature. So, um, now that we're in Psalm 19, uh, we're going to read through the first six verses. Alright, Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. So we see here an example uh, the psalmist is providing us of general revelation, and the very first verse of that psalm uh, communicates uh, exactly what we were just discussing earlier, the heavens declare the glory of God. So... This is important for two reasons, because not only is it giving us the method, but it's also giving us the purpose. Um, So it's saying the heavens declare, so the heavens are what is declaring it, and God created the heavens, of course, but then it's also telling us why. They're declaring the glory of God. They're declaring the glory of the Creator. And we can see that in all of nature. So as we go on further... We see in verse 2, it says, Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. Now, obviously, the psalmist is using poetic language here, so we know that the days themselves are not uh, you know, beings that are communicating in words to us. But what he's saying is that the days and the nights are also sharing that revelation. So the very fact that the sun rises and the sun goes down and the moon provides us light and there are stars in the sky, all of these things... Nature is communicating without words that God exists because God created it. Uh, And we have that evidence to take in and to make of it what we will. That doesn't mean that we have to accept that, but it certainly is good evidence because how else do we explain these things? And even through science, we can only explain things to a certain point. So we can understand how things work, but getting to the point of where did they come from, and what created them, that's where we always hit a roadblock. God provides us with an answer that we can accept in confidence uh, through the creation, and then eventually, once we uh, engage with his word, uh, we can read further about that. And then uh, the rest of uh, the verses that um, we read through just uh, kind of elaborate on, on that same that same point. Um, we can see this in a couple of other different areas, um, and now we'll see how good my memory is. We'll see if I'm on par with Henry Haley. Uh, I'm not, by the way. I didn't write my own Bible handbook. 
yet. Um, so let's go to uh, the book of Job. And I believe if I remember correctly, we're going to be going to Job 12. In Job 12, we see uh, in verse 7, uh, it reads, But ask now the beasts, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee, or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee, and the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee, who knoweth not in all these that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this, in whose hand is the soul of every living thing, and the breath of all mankind. So, again, we're... We're reading in the scriptures that uh, the purpose of creation itself um, is to not only provide us with evidence, but also to then encourage us to, to give glory to God for that very creation. Uh, and we see more examples, uh, you know, in, in Psalm 19, we saw the example of uh, the day and the night, the sun, uh, the heavens. Now here we see in the book of Job, uh, you know, the beasts, uh, the fowls of the air, the fishes of the sea, etc., We can also, um, going back to the Psalms, we can turn to Psalm 8, and we see again the psalmist is um, communicating this in uh, the first few verses. In fact, the entirety of that psalm, uh, we can see this communicated. Verse 1, he says, O Lord, our God, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Who hast set thy glory above the heavens? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? And I think this is a very important um, passage in scripture that really helps us to understand that, again, the purpose. We don't just have the evidence so that we can satisfy our curiosity. We have the evidence so that we can praise God and give him glory for his creation. But also then, this verse communicates to us that God deeply loves us and cares about us. Because the psalmist is asking, you know, you're the creator of the universe. He's asking in verse 4, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of, of man that thou visitest him? Well, we know, obviously, when we read through the scriptures, I mean, this is the psalmist writing this in the Old Testament. We know that uh, God himself, you know, offered up his, his only son, and Jesus incarnate walked among us, sacrificed himself. And God has continued to reveal himself through his written word as well that's been preserved all this time. So, you know, we, we can answer that question because it's a, a hypothetical question, but we can still answer it because, you know, God has given us, this story of our redemption communicated through the scriptures. Uh, and we know that uh, when the psalmist is asking, what is man that thou art mindful of him, uh, and the son of man that thou visitest him, well, we're his children, and he loves us. And that's why he sent his son to die for us. That's why he's given us his perfectly preserved word. And that's why he's uh, engaged in all of the redemptive work throughout human history, um, that's given us the opportunity to be redeemed and join him in heaven. Um, 
Alright, moving on to... Uh, does anybody have any questions on uh, uh, nature as general revelation before I move on to the next category? So let's look at the next category of uh, general revelation. We've got providence now. Um, so nature is something that we can observe uh, simply by just looking around at God's creation. Providence is something that we can observe um, that has more of an active uh, evidence to it. Uh, and providence um, is... I guess to offer a simple definition of providence, providence would be uh, God acting in our lives um, to provide in some way. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to always be a specific thing he's providing, but even just uh, providing uh, certain tools for us to be able to utilize to survive or that benefit us. And we'll see some examples of that in the scripture. Um, but that provides us evidence that obviously someone is doing this for us. And the answer to who is that person, you know, we can go back to the general revelation in nature and we can see that God created the universe and he also created the universe to function in a very specific way and has provided us tools so that we may function in a very specific way. And so we trace that back to God. So uh, we can look at Matthew 5 uh, as our first example of that. start in uh, verse 43 just uh, to give us a couple of verses uh, prior so that we can get the context of the passage. Um, Matthew 5.43, ye have heard, this is Jesus speaking in this passage, um, ye have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. So Jesus is he's giving us a lot in those three verses. Um, not only is he providing us with an example of God's providence by saying that the sun shines on the evil and the good, and also the rain uh, comes down on the just and the unjust, but he's also giving us a uh, practical application there too, because just a few verses prior to that, when he begins this particular uh, section of the Sermon on the Mount, he's providing this to give us an example of how we should treat one another. So he's informing us that God provides us with all of the comforts that we have, but at the same time does not discriminate uh, among people. <clears throat> Uh, so the rain still comes down on the just and the unjust, but also the sun shines down on the, the good and the evil. And he's saying uh, to us that we should uh, model that behavior. Because just like God gives us everything that we need, but also does not discriminate among anyone, we should not discriminate among anyone either. So we should love everyone indiscriminately. We should seek to do good indiscriminately. Uh, not because we're judging by character or by certain other qualifiers. 
But this is an example that shows us God's providence because everything good we have comes from him. And it also simultaneously shows us God's sovereignty because what some people might reflect on as being bad, they can't really say that they're being discriminated against because God is sovereign over all people. And if it rains on us, it has nothing to do with what did we do to deserve being rained on. It has everything to do with this is just simply how nature operates. <clears throat> we can go a little further into the New Testament, and we can go to Acts 14 uh, for another example. This time given by uh, Luke in his account in Acts. He's writing about Paul. Acts chapter 14, we'll start in uh, verse 14. Actually, we'll start in 13, just so we can get a context of what's going on here. Uh, then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, uh, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates, and would have done sacrifice with the people, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out, and saying, Sirs, why do ye uh, do these things? We also are men of like passions with you, and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So here... Paul is communicating that the living God, uh, in verse 15, made the heaven, made the earth, made the sea, and everything therein. Then he goes on to say that, um, in verse 16, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own way. So he's saying that God, provide, or God created everything and everyone, but he allowed certain people to still exercise their own free will. So certain nations were allowed to live as they pleased. That doesn't mean that God didn't create them, it just simply means that he didn't force them to uh, believe in him or follow his ways. And it uses the term suffered, uh, you know, to... That's an interesting word choice in the King James because to suffer something just simply means to allow it or tolerate it. But in this particular content or context, I look at that word and, and I think to myself that God did suffer it. He allowed it, but at the same time, he didn't approve of it. But how much then did God feel sadness that the people you know, rejected uh, his influence in their life? So... We see that he created everything. He gave us uh, everything that we needed to survive, but he allowed us to make choices that not only harmed ourselves, but harmed others. And then really, let's be honest, they harmed God in the sense that uh, we rejected him and God uh, feels for us in, in that sense. So, but then in, in verse 17, we go on to see uh, Paul saying, nevertheless, 
he left not himself without witness. So even though he allowed people to exercise their free will and to do as they pleased, he still provided that witness in creation. Uh, and then Paul gives some further examples. He says, um, in that he did good, he gave us rain from heaven, fruitful seasons, uh, filled our hearts with food and gladness. So again, he's turning this around. He's giving God glory for the, the good things while recognizing the fact that um, there were things that were bad, but also assigning responsibility to the people who rejected the good things of God, saying that, you know, this doesn't necessarily mean that God doesn't exist. It doesn't mean that God had ill will toward you. It just simply means that God created everything. He gave you the good. Uh, there is bad that exists. Um, we could argue that that goes all the way back to Genesis and just the fallen state of the world. So that's not something that we can really blame God for. But he still provides for us, uh, even in this world that we exist in. <clears throat> Going back to an Old Testament example, we can, uh, it's interesting how some of these overlap too because we can see um, general revelation and special revelation kind of side by side in some of these passages and maybe I'll expand on that a little next week. Um, but here's a, a passage that contains a, a little of both. Uh, Daniel chapter 2. chapter, Daniel is addressing Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the statue that uh, the rest of the wise men and uh, magicians and other people uh, in Babylon are unable to interpret. Um, so we see Daniel's response here in verse 20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his and he changeth uh, the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. And then for the remainder of the uh, chapter, he goes on to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Um, before he first reveals the dream and then interprets the dream, before he even gets to that point, he wants to give full credit to God. And in doing so, he recognizes God's providence in uh, man's life. So he says that uh, God is the one responsible in this passage. He's identifying that he changes the times, changes the seasons. And then he's also saying that he removes kings, and sets them up, gives wisdom to the wise, and knowledge to them that know understanding. So the knowledge that we have, we get from him. The wisdom that we're able to apply, we get from him. And also, the kings... Who have power, they have their position because of God. <clears throat> so going along with that, um, I find it very interesting when we're talking about providence uh, that we have to always remember that God's providence in, in humanity's lives, um, God's big picture compared to our sometimes tunnel vision and our smaller view of things, are two very different things, uh, and it can be very dangerous to speculate as to 
whether God's doing something good or bad or how this is going to affect me or the, the larger plan for humanity. So here in Daniel, he's identifying that God is the one who sets up kings uh, as well as removing them. Um, there are many different passages throughout the Bible where we see that explicitly stated. And uh, one such example, we can go to the book of Jeremiah. chapter 25. And in uh, Jeremiah 25, we will go to verse 9. And we see it written here, Behold, and this is God uh, speaking uh, through prophecy. It says, Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof, and against all these nations round about, and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and an hissing and perpetual desolations. So he's talking about the uh, the destruction of Israel here. Um, and in that very same verse, he refers to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, as my servant. So if we remember our Bible history and we remember all of the terrible things that Nebuchadnezzar did uh, by destroying uh, the southern kingdom, taking everyone into captivity... Uh, you know, sacking the temple, uh, and even uh, what Daniel describes um, in Nebuchadnezzar slowly being humbled uh, over the first couple of cha chapters of uh, the book of Daniel. Um, we see him here identified as being God's servant. So going back to that very same passage that we just looked at in, in the book of Daniel, God sets kings up and he also removes them. It's through God's providence that Nebuchadnezzar was even able to become king of Babylon and build that empire. He used him as an instrument of discipline. <coughs> and then he did his own uh, specific work in Nebuchadnezzar when Nebuchadnezzar became too prideful. But up to that point, Nebuchadnezzar was his servant. So Nebuchadnezzar was acting, yes, independently in a sense in that he had his own motivations for things, but God was allowing him to be in position of power that would eventually then put him in a place where he could bring uh, discipline to the people of Israel. <clears throat> and I'm always hesitant to... Uh, to comment uh, on certain subjects uh, in Bible study, um, just simply because I, I don't like to get distracted um, and go off on tangents that are really unfruitful. But I, I would just I, I would offer this simple application um, that if God can call Nebuchadnezzar a servant, He can call anybody a servant. Um, so. Please, the next time you get involved in a political conversation or a conversation about wars in other nations or anything that has to do with something that is far beyond 
our ability to understand because we are not in positions where we have access to certain knowledge and information. Keep that in mind um, because I hear so many things in daily conversation and I read so many things online and I try to stay offline, but God will use whoever he wants to use and then when he's done using them for whatever purpose he wants to use them for, it's up to him ultimately to decide whether or not they can remain in place or whether he's going to remove them. And that is completely a God thing. That is not for humanity to, to come to that decision. Take that and do with it as you will. <laughs> um, the final category of general revelation we'll look at uh, is the human conscience. So the human conscience is something that... Um, Nature can be observed externally. Providence can be observed through uh, evidence. Um, the human conscience is something that is internal. And again, that's something that, just like nature and just like providence, it's something that God has revealed to everyone. So a conscience isn't something that only Christians possess. A conscience is something that everyone possesses. Therefore, everyone has been... Uh, exposed to that revelation of God, um, but we go to the scriptures to learn more about the conscience's actions, its purpose, uh, how it operates, and then we go to the scriptures as being our guide um, to help us um, to understand uh, the conscience. So we can actually uh, we can go to Romans. Romans chapter 2. And actually in these first two chapters of Romans, we get a couple of different examples of um, general revelation. Um, Henry Haley would not approve of uh, my memory uh, because I forgot to reference Romans 1, actually, uh, in uh, Revelation through nature. Um, so we'll do that quickly, then we'll go into Romans 2 uh, and examine God's revelation through conscience. But in Romans chapter 1, um, verses 18 through 21, we see, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So here we see uh, Paul writing to the Romans that God has revealed himself through nature, leaving people without excuse. But then he's going to go deeper in the very next chapter. And in chapter 2, uh, in verse 14, uh, verse 14 and 15, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience, also bearing witness, 
and their thoughts the mean while accusing or else excusing one another. So first we see in Romans chapter 1, God's revelation through nature leaves man without excuse because he's provided all the evidence necessary to believe in him. But then to go even deeper, now we go from external evidence to internal evidence because we have a conscience that binds us as well. And the conscience uh, that all men are able to exercise uh, when it aligns with God's word, then that is evidence of God's working in our lives uh, because he gives us the law even if we weren't born under the law. So even if we weren't born uh, Jews living under the, the law, as Gentiles, we still had a conscience and God still uh, placed it in all of us uh, to be able to perform according to the standard of his law. Now that we actually have the guidance of the Spirit, uh, we're able to recognize that and then seek wisdom from his scriptures that he's revealed. But every human being still possesses a conscience even before they're saved. And his law doesn't change. So what God considers good is good whether you are saved or unsaved, which means that if you are in possession of a conscience, if you're a human being that possesses a conscience, God's standard will never change. It's only your recognition of that standard that changes. And that's revealed further through his word and, and the Spirit's guidance. <clears throat> Does anybody have any questions on uh, any of those categories of general revelation or any comments? Uh, Ashley and then Natalie. Um, I grew up in a very non-Christian family, mm -hmm. um, so they lived, you know, their own way, and it was very different than the way I was raised. But I always was astounded um, when they would say certain things or do certain things that were inherently good, because mm -hmm. um, I didn't know where it came from, like. I mean, I was more on, like, the legalistic side. Like, I knew I had to do this because it would please God, and we couldn't do this because it would make God mad. But, like, I didn't understand why my family would do good things. Like, why are they doing that? Hmm. So that was something that, because I still have a conscience, because I gave it to everyone. Right, so you were able to recognize that they were doing something differently. From very early on. And I knew what my motivation was supposed to mm -hmm. be, but I didn't understand why they would do it. Right. So, and as I've gotten older, like, some of them have come to Christ, so that's been neat to see. Um, but when I was little, that's something that I just didn't understand. Well, I thank you for sharing that, because sometimes providing, like, a, a, an example like that, uh, that's more of a um, an actual story uh, it helps us to, to understand how things operate and so like your example of, of your experience um, that's a good uh, display of the conscience at work in people <clears throat> Natalie you had a, a comment or a question yeah I, do you believe that um, just observing through nature and things of that sort can allow you to be saved no, and actually, that's uh, I know you're that, gonna that, well. Yeah, that was that was going to be that my was uh, too eager to know. 
Yeah, that, that, that's good. Uh, I, I was actually going to conclude with that, um, but to, to answer your question uh, briefly, no, I, I don't, and um, and I think then that's that's the distinguishment between or the, the distinction between uh, general and special revelation. Because if general revelation was enough, special revelation would be unnecessary. Uh, because then everybody could just walk around and look at the sky and the trees and the birds and, you know, feel, uh, you know, pangs of, of, of their conscience, uh, and that would be sufficient. Uh, but obviously there are people that still resist that, and that is why special revelation is so important. Um, and actually, so... We'll, we'll conclude with that. Um, we'll go into different categories of special revelation next week, but I, I would end with this uh, for us to, to think about as we prepare for next week to look at different categories and, and examples. Um, God is limitless in the ways that he can speak, and we have so many different examples of different methods he's used in the Bible itself. But... One example that I, I have rarely seen examined in different commentaries or systematic theology textbooks uh, or uh, sermons or anything like that, uh, because people often cite the Bible. They often cite um, dreams, dreams and visions. They often cite, uh, obviously, the incarnation of, of Christ. Um, and all of those things, obviously, are methods that we, we know of. But... Special revelation, you know, we are special revelation. Uh, and, and I remember um, last weekend when I was away, uh, I, I met a number of uh, people uh, from various backgrounds that have had um, very troubled lives. Um, and the way that God has revealed himself to them and the way that they then have been used by God to reveal his work in their lives um, is nothing short of amazing. Um, I met a young man that uh, had been a former uh, drug addict, uh, gang affiliations. Um, he was at a, a rehab center. Um, for, I want to say, 10 months. No, 20, 20 months. He'd been through a 12-month program, and he had stayed on a little longer, so 20 months. In 20 months' time, uh, someone coming from a background like that to not only being saved, but then having such a beautiful scriptural knowledge, and not just a knowledge, but an ability to apply, because anybody can just memorize scripture and quote it, memory. That doesn't make you saved. That doesn't make you a, a good Christian, even if you are saved. Application. That's an example of the fruits of the Spirit, like Paul talks about in Galatians. Application is what's important to get from the Scripture. And the way this gentleman was just able to like not only recall Scripture, but like apply it in so many different circumstances, and encourage people with it. After being only studying the Bible for 20 months, um, was amazing. Uh, I think of the Great Commission um, 
and I think of what that means in our lives. Uh, I, I've, I can't tell you how many times I've discussed the Great Commission in lessons, not only here at Stonington, but also in lessons at the previous churches I attended that I taught as well, not to mention in conversation that I have every day. I come back to Matthew 28 time and time and time again, and I sound like a broken record sometimes when I preach on the same passages over and over and over, but honestly, like the Great Commission, right there. That's a command for us to be special revelation. God's special revelation through us, through humanity, in his active work in our lives, and we're commanded to go out and teach, disciple, and baptize. So, you know, like, he wants to reveal himself, and yes, this is absolutely vital to that revelation. This is what we go to for the knowledge uh, that we teach to others. But the teaching happens through us through the Spirit's guidance. So the Spirit helps us to understand what it is we're reading, and we then are an active participant in God's revelation to people. Um, While we're in Romans, actually, let's go to Romans 10. Everybody knows Romans 10, 9, uh, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's a go-to verse on the Romans road. When you're out there evangelizing, you can quote it from memory. But then we go a couple of verses down and we see um, Romans uh, ten thirteen: for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then the very next verse, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So, going back to Natalie's question, is general revelation enough? Well, clearly Paul didn't think so, because here Paul is saying, how are they going uh, to call on him if they haven't believed? How are they going to believe in him uh, if they haven't uh, heard? So, who's the active participant then? The preacher. Matthew Matthew 28, Great Commission. We are that special revelation, along with many other things, <laughs> along with the, the scriptures, along with um, dreams, visions, you know, the incarnation of Christ 2,000 years ago, his sacrifice, God's resurrection of him. Uh, all of those things work together. We're part of that process, and what a privilege it is to be part of that process, right? Like, is that something that we thank God for? Thank you, God, for making me part of that process. Uh, or do we take it for granted sometimes? Because uh, I, I think, uh, unfortunately, uh, sometimes we take it for granted. And when I say we, I mean we, as in you and me as well. So I'm including myself in that. Um, sometimes when I actually stop and think about what God has done through me in my life, um, I'm humbled. <laughs> and going along with what uh, Paul writes in, in Romans 10, and... Uh, Again, the juxtaposition of general revelation and special revelation. I think this is beautifully illustrated here. Um, Let's go to... uh, Let's go to... um, 2 Peter.
So uh, this is actually um, serendipitous uh, that I I was reviewing uh, my notes this morning, and there were a couple of passages that I, I came across that uh, I kind of added in last minute because I, I was really thinking some things over. And uh, just a, a couple of weeks ago, actually on a Wednesday night uh, Bible study, uh, we discussed the flood. Uh, we discussed Noah, a bunch of different topics uh, surrounding those scriptures, and so. I, I don't know if I had Genesis 6 on the mind, or maybe God was just trying to put something on my heart. But um, So we read about the flood in Genesis 6, we read about Noah's family, but then we go to 2 Peter, uh, and we see in 2 Peter 2, verse 5, uh, it says that, um, actually we'll, we'll go to for verse 4, that's the beginning of uh, that particular statement. So, for it's, if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and, then in verse 5, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So here he's identifying that God saved Noah, and the Noah was the eighth person, so Noah and his family. We read about that in Genesis 6. We know God gave instruction to build the ark. We see that in Genesis 6. And then, of course, he brought the animals on, etc., etc. But here in 2 Peter, we're given a, a very minor detail um, of something that we don't read in Genesis 6 or Hebrews 11. And that's, uh, Peter is calling Noah a preacher of righteousness. So, all of that time that Noah is building the ark, do you think that Noah was not preaching? Do you think that Noah wasn't trying to warn the people that there's a f something coming? Um, because if we just look at the ark itself, and let's use that as an example of general revelation. You know, here's this guy Noah, and here's this ark, this giant ark that we're walking past every single day. Like, what, what's this all about? Is anybody going to be able to understand what the purpose of the ark is without Noah actually preaching it every single day? So here Peter is identifying Noah as being a preacher of righteousness. General revelation, which is that huge ark that's unmistakable that you have to see every time you pass it, combined with special revelation. Noah, the preacher of righteousness. You combine those two things, that's where we get to the point of salvation. <clears throat> encourage us all that as we meet here every Sunday and sometimes on Wednesday nights um, we're safe in the ark right now this building is a very comfortable building for us to be in among brothers and sisters um, and what a privilege it is to be here there are people that are up to their necks in water right now outside those doors and they're screaming because it's raining very hard on them. So don't ignore the screams. Go be God's special revelation. Any questions or comments? Yeah, I'd like to say something. Uh, I think God, when God on general, creation itself, you think of what God did, uh, the trees, the leaves, the moon, the stars, Earth itself, if it was positioned uh, a, uh, a little close to the sun, we would burn. 
if it was a little further away, we would freeze. How God created everything. Mm -hmm. And when he says, look to uh, my creation, I think that's telling the people to look to God. And then through his miraculous thing, he, we, they know we need God. We have sinned against God. He has sent his Holy Spirit to witness to us, convict, convince and lead us to Jesus Christ. Each one of us. But the beginning point is creation, looking at God, knowing we're a sin, sinner and we need Christ. The Holy Spirit work in us. The scriptures. And each one has that chance. Mm -hmm. And without knowing of a God or of God, we couldn't come to Christ because he did it all. So creation is the beginning of coming to your salvation. Mm -hmm. Not man. Not man did anything. In, in anything, it grows. We had to throw the seed in the ground, but we didn't take care of the rain, the sunshine, and the moisture it's needed to, to make it grow. Mm -hmm. So I, I believe, and I know that's what it God created creation that we look and we see God. We know we have sinned. And through the Holy Spirit that he sends us, we are convicted of sin. And by his written word, we come to know him as Lord, Master, and Savior. The cycle, the civics, is coming to know Christ as Lord and Savior. He does it through his Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm very glad you made that comment, actually, because I, I, I think that's important and um, for us to uh, remember that uh, all revelation uh, starts with God. Uh, and that's what makes it so special. And, and that's we've been hearing Brad preach through uh, Galatians, and you know he's he's hitting on these points that you know Paul is telling the Galatians, if anybody preaches a different doctrine than what has already been preached by us, you know that has been handed to us by God, and so he's identifying that he's not preaching the doctrine of man. And as we are studying through bibliology, and as we've been uh, going through Revelation this morning, we're seeing the very same thing. God is the one who's responsible for the creation. Then we are active participants in this process, but it never starts with us. So no man can ever point to himself as being the origin of creation or knowledge or wisdom, etc. Uh, so that's yeah, that's a very good point. Thank you for sharing that. <clears throat> Anyone else? Beard. So this question, uh, general revelation, do you think it's an uh, intellectual barrier or the depravity of man that interfered with general revelation not being sufficient for uh, salvation? Um, I know what some of our friends would say uh, <laughs> when we talk about uh, total depravity, but... Um, so I think it's an intellectual barrier, or what was the other thing you asked? The depravity of man. Depravity of man. Um, I don't know that I can really confidently comment on uh, and apply a, a broad explanation. To, to I, I think that's, every individual, I think, has their own barriers that they create. Um, I mean, certainly we're, you know, we're in a fallen world in a sinful state, and that uh, presents its, its own set of challenges. But I think that certain individuals do intellectualize things more. And I think that certain individuals, unfortunately, because of the depravity that they've engaged in and fallen into, uh, that places handicaps uh, that maybe other individuals might not deal with. Uh, so, for instance, somebody who's suffered a lot, who's gone through a lot of loss, who maybe has even uh, battled addiction or trauma or things like that. I mean, 
there are obviously going to be things that prevent them from uh, immediately uh, recognizing God's work in creation and his special revelation as being truth, as opposed to somebody who hasn't suffered all of those things. And that's really where the spirit comes in, because I, I think that the spirit interacts with every individual uh, in exactly the way they need. I mean, I, without going into any detail whatsoever, all I can say is, like, my own personal experience, my testimony, uh, how I came to Christ. Um, thank you. Uh, was unique to me. Um, as opposed to probably anybody in this room that can give their own personal testimony that was un- unique to them. So what convinced me was not, you know, maybe what convinced Paul or convinced Mike. Um, and God, being the creator of everyone, knows what is necessary. <clears throat> Which again, going back to what Paul writes, leaves us without excuse because God does his part. He knows what's necessary, but he also doesn't enforce that on us. He doesn't force his will upon us. So if we still reject it even when he's given us exactly the thing that would be sufficient for us to accept as evidence. Who do we have to blame? Any, any other questions or comments? We're running uh, over time, so I want to wrap this up before uh, I steal too much of Brad's time. If not, I'll, I'll pray. <clears throat>